It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking With Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the Fan Side Network. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy weekend. The Minnesota Timberwolves lost again last night to the Portland Trailblazers. There are two upcoming games this weekend, back-to-back home games against the San Antonio Spurs on Saturday and Sunday. So plenty to talk about today. Um, we're going to jump right into the Thursday night loss to the Blazers. What went wrong? Um, you know, a lot of the things that I talked about on the preview show uh, earlier on Thursday definitely came to fruition. The issue is trying to stop the pick and roll, the, the uh, action that the Blazers run with their dynamic backcourt and Yusuf Nurkic. And the Wolves indeed struggled to contain the Blazers' offense. And unfortunately for Minnesota, for a good chunk of the game, their offense struggled to score against one of the league's worst defenses. So um, there were a couple of positives to take out of the game, but overwhelmingly it was disappointing. So I want to dive into that, what the specific issues were, who played. We'll do some studs and duds, although this one was tougher to, to parse, um, quite frankly. I want to talk a little big picture. Um, I, I, You know, it's about every week now I've been kind of doing this soul searching um, on behalf of... Uh, I don't know, I guess the whole Timberwolves fan base um, and, and you know, what what happens next? What changes need to be made, if any? Do the Timberwolves try and make a splash? Do they stand pat? What, you know, what does the rest of the season look like? So I want to do a little bit of that as well today. And then a quick look ahead to the Spurs this weekend. Um, won't spend a ton of time on those matchups and likely we'll have a weekend show in between the two Spurs games Saturday and Sunday, uh, at some point Sunday, reviewing Saturday's game, looking ahead to Sunday as well. Um, so that'll be today's show and then also the weekend show as well. Uh, first, as always, a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. And also you can follow us on Twitter at Locked on T-Wolves. That's at Locked on T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. So let's talk about this game against the Portland Trailblazers first before I go all big picture on on everything. So this game against the Blazers was always going to be a tough game. I talked extensively on, on Thursday's show about how McCollum and Lillard, they're, t- they're a tough cover for any team, but especially for a Timberwolves team. Missing both Josh Okogie and Carl Anthony Towns, they don't have enough mobile bigs, they don't have enough long and athletic uh, guards who are NBA caliber defenders at this point. Obviously, Anthony Edwards is long and athletic, doesn't know how to defend at the NBA level yet, at least not in a team concept. Jarrett Culver is pretty good one-on-one. He struggled a little bit in, in the team concept this year, but he he would be the Wolves' best option. He actually did okay, but as a team, the Wolves' defense was awful. So um, the, the game started, and actually, the Wolves were in this. They were actually up by a point at the end of the first quarter. 
But early in the first quarter, both teams were struggling to put the ball in the basket. The Wolves actually were executing their offense pretty well. And remember, Portland has a bottom five defensive team in the league. I think they were 28th in in defensive rating coming into the game. Um, If I'm not mistaken, I know they were bottom five. And so Minnesota should have been able to score. And indeed, they were getting into the looks that they wanted to get into. But uh, they were missing open shots, whether it was Juancho in the corner or if it was Malik Beasley. They were just missing too many open shots. The Blazers weren't scoring either. And the Wolves weren't playing great defense. The Blazers were also just simply missing shots. And that's how the Wolves had a 29 to 28 lead at the end of the first quarter. And then in the second quarter, about three, four minutes in, things just kind of tanked for the Timberwolves. They missed several shots right at the rim. In fact, for the quarter, they shot five for 14 within 10 feet of the basket. Um, And I think 13 of those 14 shots were literally at the rim, like within three feet. There was one like Beasley floater from the middle of the paint that missed. So five for 13 at the rim, five for 14 in the paint, however you want to classify it. And it was terrible. Beasley missed a couple of layups in transition. Jared Culver again missed an easy shot. Jared Vanderbilt missed a dunk. Um, It was just ugly. Um, And and defensively, they were even worse. They had given up 75 points by halftime. Um, Had they made those bunnies at the rim, they still would have been down double digits because their defense was that bad. But it wouldn't have been, I think it was a 19-point deficit at halftime. And it would have been probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 or something like that. And, and at least felt like the Wolves were in shouting distance had they simply made the easy shots at the rim. The other problem was, I mean, there was one instance where the Wolves had a steal. I think Rubio got a steal and pushed it ahead to Beasley. Beasley missed a layup in transition and the Blazers came down and knocked down a three immediately. Five point swing. Uh, and there were a couple of those uh, sequences that happened. And suddenly the Wolves were down 19 by halftime. The third quarter, things continue to snowball, which we've seen a lot of this year is is third quarter issues um, over the last few games, especially. And the defensive issues, especially in transition, which so much of that goes back to communication, who's grabbing who in transition, um, who's taking whose man. And, uh, you know, the Wolves, whether it was Jared Vanderbilt or Malik Beasley, guys were falling down and not getting back fast enough. Um, and that was a severe issue. And then the offense suddenly just became what has happened Happened recently is it just kind of devolves and guys are like, okay, I'm going to be the hero, whether it was D'Angelo Russell or Anthony Edwards. And Russell was great early in the game. He didn't have a very good third quarter, but nobody did. Um, I guess credit to him for trying to pull the Wolves out of their tailspin, but they just kind of stopped executing their offense. And other than a quick, you know, there was a quick flurry by, I think Hernan Gomez hit a three and uh, D'Lo hit a couple and, and it just kind of felt like the Wolves could hang around, but then it, the Blazers were just too much and it got to, to roughly, I don't know if it ever hit 30 points, but it was right around 30 points again for a while. The one um, I, on Twitter, on the Dunking with Wolves Twitter account, I didn't, I called it a chrome lining, not a silver lining. There was a little bit of positivity in the fourth quarter when a bench unit, uh, basically, I think it was like a 22 to eight run. Um, at one point it was even it was like, uh, I think it was like 16 to two. And then overall it was like a 22 to eight run and got the wolves back to within 16 points, but it never got closer. Um, but that was a group that included Nas Reed. Uh, I think Ricky Rubio was out there for most of it. Jared Vanderbilt was out there for most of it. Jaden McDaniels, um, and uh, Jalen Noel was out there for part of it. Anthony Edwards, that was mostly the five five man unit um, that was out there for this run. And, and they were competitive. They played hard. They were diving on the floor for loose balls, which are things that we don't see a lot of out of the regular rotation guys for the Timberwolves. And and I guess showing that they're still playing hard for each other and for the coach is a positive thing. Now, alarm bells would be ringing big time if we were eight games into the season and they weren't playing hard. Young players trying to fight for playing time late in the game. 
but still, um, it, it was good to see. It was good to see the competitiveness. It was good to see them get within 16. Good to see solid minutes from Edwards in garbage time, even if it was garbage time. He had a, he had a rough first half. And so to come on strong, even if it was against Portland's backups, was good to see. So that was kind of the game flow. Um, I'll do a real quick studs and duds now before we get to the big picture stuff. Um, for this game, it was actually pretty difficult for me to come up with studs and duds because I, actually most of the Wolves players did okay offensively. I mean, there were some shooting issues. There was one guy in particular I get to in a second who really struggled to put the ball in the basket and took a lot of shots. Um, but outside of him, the Wolves, for the most part, shot it okay. They were 34% beyond the arc. They got to the free throw line, shot 76% there. Because again, Portland has a miserable defense. And, and one of the, the Wolves are one of the few teams with the worst defense. So you look at the offensive numbers and you watch the offensive end of the floor. And, and, and I don't know, there weren't that many terrible individual performances on the defensive side, kind of the same thing in that there weren't too many individually, you know, glaringly terrible defensive performances, but as a unit, the team just could not get out of their own way. Um, you know, part of that is mixing guys and, and, you know, Vanderbilt playing with guys he's never played with before Vanderbilt playing for the first time, not understanding pick and roll coverages was a major issue. It wasn't as much an effort thing as it was guys just either, not know, and, and I'm going to get more into this when I get into the big picture stuff, but is it, is it coaching? Is it young players? Is it incompetence of the players themselves? Are they just not good enough? What, what's, what's the answer here? And, and is there a quick fix? I think the answer to the quick fix thing is no. Uh, but what is the biggest issue? We saw just a, a complete unit wide breakdowns, uh, for every unit that played for the wolves, the starters, the reserves. I mean, the bench unit, the deep bench was the one that did the best simply because they were playing hard and, and Portland's guys weren't really at that point in the game. Um, but at any rate, it was hard for me to say like, oh man, so-and-so got burned over and over defensively because that didn't really happen. Pick and roll coverage is a, is a concept thing and there wasn't one guy who was consistently beat. It was the unit was not defending well um, and there's plenty of guys to blame. So I'm only going to do two studs and one dud in this game. Two studs. D'Angelo Russell gets one. He was uh, seven for his first eight, seven of nine at halftime, was just, just, knocking everything down early in the game and kept the wolves in it. He had 10 points before I think anyone in the wolves had made two baskets. Um, finished with 26 points on 16 shots, three of seven beyond the arc, only three assists, three rebounds. And he did have three turnovers, but he was the only Timberwolves player who was consistently effective offensively. He's still the only guy who can get his own shot with no Carl Anthony towns and uh, played, played pretty well and, and okay defensively early in the game. As we've seen a lot of is, is it really feels like Delo's committing and understanding what he needs to do defensively at the beginning of games. And then things kind of backslide uh, pretty quickly for him. Um, the other stud that I have in this game for the Timberwolves is Jared Vanderbilt. There were certainly some issues and I'll, I'll get to the defense again here in a minute. He got beat by Yusuf Nurkic on like four out of five possessions in the second quarter. But again, it was mostly in pick and roll coverage. He wasn't getting beat on straight line drives. He got beat in the post once, I think. Um, but it was a team issue more than it was Vanderbilt. He still had 10 points, 10 rebounds, two steals and an assist, no turnovers, shot four of seven, actually made two of his three free throws, played hard, uh, had a couple of lob uh, conversions from Rubio um, and just, you know, he, he played well overall and he played hard in just 21 minutes. He's putting up this 10 and 10 with two steals. I mean, that's, that's awesome. You know, over the course of a full game, that probably turns into a, you know, a 15 and 14 with three or four steals, right? I mean, if he gets a few more, a little bit more run, he only committed two fouls as well. So, uh, you know, solid all around game from him. Clearly there's issues and he's raw and he doesn't understand how to play in the Wolves defensive concept. He didn't, I mean, you'd think that for somebody who's been around the team and been in practice now for several months, obviously they didn't practice over the summer, but training camp and the in-market bubble and back to last spring, 
their defensive coverages haven't changed a ton. And it seemed as though he didn't understand when he was or wasn't getting help uh, when he was guarding in the pick and roll. And that was an issue. But again, is that coaching? Is that personnel? Um, you know, you can certainly place some blame on Vanderbilt for not knowing the, uh, the, the concept that they were playing. But at any rate, he still gets a stud in this game. Dud for me in this game is very clearly Malik Beasley. He was the only Timberwolf that really struggled offensively. He had 12 points on three of 13 shooting. He was three of six beyond the arc. That means if you're doing your math at home, or I guess I'll just do it for you. He was 0 of seven inside the arc. I think there were three or four misses at the rim, point blank misses. And then he had two or three mid-range jumpers that just missed horribly. Um, 12 points, four rebounds, two assists, two turnovers. He did have a steal. He was a team worst minus team worst minus 20 in a game. The Wolves lost by 18, played 28 minutes. Um, and outside of that, you know, second quarter, he was pretty good in Denver on Tuesday. The last two games, uh, about two thirds to three quarters of his minutes have been pretty bad after three solid games in a row. So Beasley needs to be a little more consistent. I mean, he was the Wolves' most consistent player over the first 10 days or so. That needs to flip back uh, to that direction because he was not very good on Thursday night in Portland. All right, next, I want to talk big picture. I want to kind of give my, um, I don't know, I guess a, I guess somewhat of a soliloquy on where the Wolves stand now, what happens next, um, you know, just a few minutes on on my thoughts on, on where the wolves sit as of right now. But first we have to talk about betonline.ag. Are you ready for football? Are you ready for playoff football? Uh, super wildcard Saturday and Sunday are upcoming six games in two days for the NFL. Also college basketball, of course, NBA basketball, there's plenty to bet on. And there's only one place that has you covered in one place that we trust at locked on. And that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. For a free account at betonline.ag, use the promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Bet on NFL playoffs, bet on NBA games, bet on futures, bet on college basketball. Um, all that and more is at betonline.ag. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action and don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 2020 is mercifully over. It's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They are picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get podcasts. Okay, let, let's unpack this thing. So Timberwolves are two and six. They've lost six straight. Towns has missed six straight games. Okogie's missed five and a half straight games. They haven't had any other meaningful injuries. The Timberwolves have played 
uh, I guess slightly less than half. What have they played eight games? They played three at home. Um, so they played a little more on the road than at home. They haven't necessarily played better at home. They won the one game against the Pistons and then the road game at the Jazz. So that's not a thing. Uh, just kind of going through what the season looks like so far. They played a relatively average schedule, a couple bad teams like the Pistons. The Wizards are you know, maybe not as bad as we thought they were at the time, but they were winless. Um, you know, Portland struggled. Denver struggled, but they're not bad. Um, Utah struggled a little. The Wolves actually beat Utah. And then obviously both LA teams. So they played a pretty average schedule with a couple really good teams, a couple really bad teams, and a lot of middle of the road type teams. And Minnesota has by far the worst point differential in the league. Uh, that matters because it can help. It, I mean, it gives you a better sense of how they've played instead of just wins and losses. And, and it can help you project what this team's going to look like moving forward. In short, if you have a really great differential, suggest that you play better than your record. And there could be some, some correction, you know, law of averages down the road that's going to, you know, even itself out. There's always exceptions to the rule, but for instance, the Bucks are five and three, but they have the league's best point differential at 13.7. And if you said the Bucks were the best team in the league, I mean, they may not be the best team, but they're not number six in the East. They're going to finish better than that. Um, in the West, the Wolves have a negative 13.1 point differential and are tied at two and six with the worst record with the Memphis Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies are only a minus 5.1. In the East, there's two one-win teams, the Raptors and the Pistons. The Pistons have a minus 7.6 point differential. So the next worst team is a full five and a half points behind the Timberwolves in the point differential column. That's not good. Um, the Wolves really don't have any close losses so far this season. I mean, you could you could argue the Denver loss um, that they ended up losing by seven was, was relatively close. I mean, it came down to the final minute or so. Um, and the Wolves had the close win over the Jazz, which was a five-point win. But everything else has been a blowout. They lost by, I don't know, 28 or whatever. No, 38 to the Lakers. They lost by 21 to the Wizards. They lost by 23 to the Clippers. They lost by 15 to the Nuggets the first time. And then they just lost by 28 in a game that wasn't, or excuse me, 18 in a game that wasn't that close to Portland on Thursday night. Um, it, it hasn't been pretty. Now, look at the Timberwolves, look at their current situation, look at the roster. What do we want the Wolves to do next? I think it's very clear that the Timberwolves don't have adequate depth. I mean, I mean, this is the understatement of the century in the front court. Um, Gerson Rosas, we can put the blame at his feet for failing to build adequate depth at the five for relying on an aging Ed Davis. Who's never going to play more than 20 minutes and probably shouldn't play more than 10 minutes in a game to be the primary backup at the five to, uh, you know, maybe they're going to give Jared Vanderbilt some more run moving forward, but he's not ready to be a, a legitimate, you know, rotation guy on a playoff team. And, and I'm not pretending the wolves are a playoff team at this moment, but coming into the season, they wanted to be a playoff team and they still are going to try because again, they lose their pick next year, unless it lands in the top three, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to tank the season. Um, so there's just not adequate front court depth. We all knew the power forward issue. I've been talking all off season about, you know, RJ Clayman and Juancho Hernan Gomez, the answer at the four. And I, I said back, when we first started talking about the draft, I liked Obi Toppin. I liked the idea of the Wolves trading for John Collins, which of course still theoretically could happen because I, I, you know, you need to have some flexibility at the four. You need to be able to play big er, you need to be able to, um, have some, I mean, last night and, and Carmelo didn't have a great game, but Malik Beasley was guarding Carmelo Anthony for a good chunk of the second quarter. Um, and that's not ideal. Malik Beasley's a little undersized for, for the two at, at times in today's NBA, and now he's guarding a four in Carmelo Anthony, who loves the post-up game, would love to shoot over him from the mid-range all, all night long. Um, 
the Wolves don't have enough of an answer at the four. We know that too. Uh, I think that's actually a little bit less of an issue than the depth behind Towns because as we're seeing now, relying on Nas Reed and Ed Davis to fill in Towns minutes has severely impacted the Wolves defensively and offensively. I mean, the offense hasn't been good either. I mean, we can talk all day about how the defense has let them down, but the Wolves have played three of the worst five defenses or yeah, three of the worst five defenses in the league by defensive rating in Detroit, Denver, and Portland and has lost to all of them. Or I guess they beat Detroit, but barely. Um, and they had towns. So there's offensive issues as well as defensive issues. So, I mean, we can look at the coaching. Clearly there's been some issues. Do you fire Ryan Saunders eight games into the season? What does that do? Um, I mean, I guess it sends a message, but the team's not suddenly going to start winning. Um, what's your move later if they keep losing? I mean, Ros- if Rosas fires Saunders and then the team ends up still being terrible, starts next year bad, then Rosas is the one that's going to get fired. And, and I'm sure he, if you're going to ha- make a scape- scapegoat type move, it's too early to do that. There's obvious excuses, especially, I mean, the Towns injury is the big one. Um, and, you know, the cohesion, the lack of cohesion with the roster. I talked about this on Thursday when the Wolves beat Portland last year, there was three guys on that roster who played in this, who played in that game that played in, in this, you know, this game at Portland. Josh Okogie, Jarrett Culver, I think Jordan McLaughlin. Uh, I don't know. There's one other guy. Three guys that played in a game last January, about exactly a year ago, a win over Portland that are still on the roster. So yeah, that's a built-in excuse. And Rosas can use that. He's also the one that turned the roster over. But you can't sit here and say that the roster is worse than it was last January. You can't tell me that having... Um, you know, Anthony Edwards is worse than having Travion Graham. You can't tell me that having D'Angelo Russell is worse than having Jeff Teague or worse than having Shabazz Napier. I mean, the roster is better than it was 12 months ago. So that points us back to the coaching. I I mean, look at some of these other issues defensively, especially communication is a major issue. That's a huge part of defense, especially transition defense. Um, is Jared Vanderbilt not knowing the pick and roll coverage or is, you know, is that coaching? Is that Vanderbilt? Is it, where's the disconnect? Is it a little bit of both? I mean, I think skill-wise, athletically, he's got the ability to play that role, but he got burned on basically five straight possessions in the second quarter. And every time he was pointing around, shrugging his shoulders, wondering where where his help was, help wasn't coming. And and I think that that's by design and, and it didn't seem like he knew that. Um, is the commitment to defense, is that coaching or do you have the wrong guys? Guys who play hard at the start of the game and give up partway through defensively, is that coaching or is it the guys? Or is it both? Where do you where where do you parse that? Um and that's the issue right now. What kind of changes do you make? And you know, everybody says you fire the coach because you can't fire all the players. The Wolves still have talent on this roster. There's no excuse for them being as bad as they are. Brooklyn didn't have Durant, they didn't have Kyrie. They won. They didn't get beat by 25. That roster is not significantly better than the Timberwolves once you get past those names that I mentioned, Kyrie, Kevin Durant. It's better, but you can't tell me that a starting lineup with Bruce Brown and Torian Prince and Jeff Green should beat the Philadelphia 76ers, who, by the way, you could argue they've been the best team in the league so far this year, beat them by 13 points, and the Wolves go into Portland, get down 30 give up 75 points in the first half, 83 points between the second and third quarters. And the Nets, with Bruce Brown and Jeff Green in their starting lineup, 
are beating the Philadelphia 76ers by 13. Um, now, the point I'm trying to make isn't that this all rests on Ryan Saunders. It doesn't all rest on Gerson Rosas. It rests on everybody. But this is this is the problem. Is this early in the season for a team that had higher expectations, how much of it is missing towns? How much of it is lack of cohesion among players that aren't familiar with one another? How much of it is actual coaching, whether it be what they're installing, how they're installing it, in-game adjustments, locker room, uh, you know, confidence in the coach? Is it the roster? What, where are we assigning blame and how do you figure this out after eight games? The answer is we can't. We can't know for sure. We, we don't. It's far too small of a sample size. And Rosa shuffling, shuffling the roster as he has and basically overturned it twice since he took over 20 months ago, 19 months ago. Uh, the cohesion thing can always be an argument. It can always be an excuse because we don't know. The roster's changed over so much. I, I mean, it's a, it's an it's an obvious, I mean, I'm going to use the word excuse. It's an obvious excuse and it's legitimate that, you know, to some extent that, yeah, if you don't play with guys, you're going to have communication issues. You're going to have, you know, who's doing what both on both ends of the floor. But what, I mean, this you know, life goes on, the season goes on. What happens next? You can't keep losing by 20 every night. Um, so the Denver games were encouraging because the Wolves were competitive and they fought and they were actually in those games until the fourth quarter. They were leading the games in the fourth quarter, going into the fourth quarter. And at that point, you can look at talent and coaching pretty specifically because, and that's part of the reason why I, I would argue that this team has enough talent on the roster to be competitive without Carl Anthony Towns. Without Towns, there's no reason this team should be better or should be worse than the Detroit's. This team shouldn't be worse than a John Morantless Memphis Grizzlies team. This team shouldn't be worse than um, what's the other one team or one win team in the East? Uh, I guess the Raptors. I mean, the Raptors should be better than the Timberwolves. The Raptors are one and six as well. This team should be better than the Wizards. I believe that. I think they're better than the Hornets too, even without Carl Anthony Towns. But they haven't been, and that's when you start to look at our players performing not up to expectations. Is coaching an issue when you're leading going into the fourth quarter, and then you lose the lead and get beat by twenty points? Are you not making the proper adjustments? Or why aren't your players more locked in, I guess, would be the flip side of that in the fourth quarter in a, in a one possession game going into the fourth quarter. Um, I, I just think at this point, there's too much noise to know for sure. And and it's up to Gerson Rosas to to try and figure this out, to try and figure out what are my coaches, my coaching staff, what's my coaching staff not doing right? How much of it is the lack of talent on the roster? What have I done wrong in building this roster? I think the obvious answer is the front court depth at this point. Um and what does he do next? Does he pull the fire alarm and make a massive trade? Does he, I mean, I don't know how you're going to do that. I mean, if you'd have to trade D'Angelo Russell, if it's truly a, a needle moving trade, which I, I mean, at this point, I don't think he's going to do it, but it's hard to argue against it. If that's what he wanted to do, if they found a team that would take Russell and the Wolves could somehow improve the roster, I doubt that's coming. Other teams aren't willing to make a trade that big at this point. Are they, is he going to fire Ryan Saunders? I really doubt it. That's not going to happen in season this year. Um, or do you ride this thing out? Try and get Towns back and see what happens. That's what I think the answer is. I mean, if the Wolves had lost their first two game with Towns and they're, they're 0 and 8, I, I actually, as silly as it seems, this is a different conversation because then you can say, well, maybe your team wasn't good with Towns anyways. The fact that they won two games, albeit two close games and pretty ugly games at times, 
I mean, maybe this team is okay with Carl Anthony Towns. Maybe Towns is one of the best 10 players in the league. And if he commits defensively, this team all of a sudden morphs into a borderline playoff team. And without him, they're the worst team in the league. I don't know. We can't say. And that's part of the issue. Um, so all that to say, there isn't a conclusion to be drawn yet. All of these things have to be considered. Yes, there's blame on the front office. Yes, there's blame on the coaching staff. Yes, there's blame on the players. But it's impossible to figure out you know, if you wanted to assign assign percentages of blame on each party, that's a hard thing to do. And eight games in, it's a really hard thing to do. So as ugly as it's been, I don't know what kind of changes could possibly be made that are rational at this point in such a weird season. Um, but I do know that if the Wolves finish in last or second to last in the West, there will be changes when the season's over. I just wouldn't expect them to happen in season. And, and I don't necessarily think that they should either. So, um, all right. Next, what I want to do is take a quick peek ahead at the Spurs, uh, I guess, series, back-to-back series this weekend. Um, So we're going to do that here next. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Fridays on Locked On NBA, join Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers and Adam Morris of Locked On Nuggets for a wrap-up of the biggest stories around the league. Anthony and Adam bring you game recaps, weekend previews, and a weekly NBA power ranking that you can't Miss. Subscribe to the Lockdown NBA podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's talk Wolves Spurs. The Wolves have this two-game series upcoming. It is an actual back-to-back, not just consecutive games against the Spurs. And weirdly enough, they're both at Target Center. So the Spurs make their one uh, their one visit to Minnesota, and they play these back-to-back games. So the Spurs started the year with wins over the Grizzlies and Raptors, which felt good because both teams were expected to be, you know, playoff teams or at least borderline playoff teams. I mean, the Raptors have been terrible, which is a shock to, I think most people. Um, but then they, they reeled off four straight losses, the Pelicans, Lakers twice, and then the jazz. So all pretty good teams. Um, and then Derek white gets injured and there's this thought that, you know, uh, Things are are things over already for the Spurs for this year. Um, maybe not quite as devastating as a lot. Well, clearly, given the results, but maybe not quite as devastating as a loss for the Spurs as Towns is for the Timberwolves. Um, but there isn't a timetable for White's return. He's got a, a toe fracture and he's out. Since then, though, they've gone out and beaten the Clippers by three and then beat the Lakers by nine last night as the Wolves were busy getting blown out by the Blazers. So I guess going back to last segment, if you want to look at this in the crudest way possible, Greg Popovich loses his arguably best player and wins two games against the two best teams in the conference. And Ryan Saunders loses his best player and loses six straight. 
only one of which was actually a competitive game start to finish. So uh, take that again, a crude comparison, but it doesn't look good. Um, at any rate, the Spurs have played better lately. This is a game that the Spurs will be favored in. I'm sure our friends at betonline.ag, when they post a line, will have the Spurs as a favorite. Um, the Spurs, outside of Derek White, are relatively healthy. Uh, Drew Eubanks is, um, I guess, uh, he missed the game Thursday. He is a kind of a, he's supposed to be a kind of a fringe rotation guy. He's played in three games so far this year, 19 minutes a game. Um, so not a huge loss for them. Um but the Spurs have, I mean, DeMar DeRozan's played well so far this year and uh, played really well, actually. Patty Mills, of course, is is still very good. And Keldon Johnson, who was a rookie last year, has been quite good as well. Um, that was a name we talked about a little bit as maybe a potential trade target, somebody who spent a lot of time in the G League last year. He was the 29th overall pick in last year's draft. He's played well as a starter for this year's Spurs team. Um, so what are the Spurs going to try to do to the Timberwolves the Spurs are kind of, um, you know, they were famous a couple of years ago for bucking the three-point trend and shooting a lot of mid-range jumpers. That's still the case, but they're a good three-point shooting team when they choose to attempt them. They've got a number of above-average three-point shooters um, led led by Patty Mills. He's shooting a crazy, just under 56% so far this year. Devin Vassell, of course, the rookie we talked about a lot um, as a potential target for the Wolves in the draft. He's averaging 16 minutes a game, shooting 53% from three so far. Uh, DeMar DeRozan's shooting three-pointers more frequently and at a higher percentage than he really has ever in his career now in his age 31 season, which is intriguing for a number of reasons. Uh, But he hasn't shot this many threes per game. He's shooting 2.6 per game since his uh, last all-star season in Toronto three years ago. And he only shot 31% from three that year. He's a career 29, 28.5% three-point shooter, and he's at 43% so far this year. So um, the Spurs are still going to mid-range you to death. They're still going to do what the Spurs do. But Popovich's coaching job, Sands Derek White, is really impressive so far. And um, defensively, I mean, they haven't been great. They're they're probably kind of right around that bottom 10 you know, certainly in the bottom half of the league defensively. And and that was some of their, their issues during that four game losing streak, obviously, but for the wolves to pull out one of these two games at home against a 500 team who frankly, I, I thought the wolves would finish ahead of the Spurs this year. I think the Spurs are about a 500 team when it's all said and done, the wolves need to win one of these two games and they must be competitive in both of them. They can't get blown out again, not by another middling team missing their arguably their best player, second best player in Derek white. Um, I mean, there really just isn't an option. They just can't let that happen. Um, so the Wolves will uh, will play host the Spurs two games in a row, Saturday, Sunday, both 7 p.m. games. As I said earlier, we'll have a show on Sunday talking about Saturday night's game and then looking ahead to Sunday night's game before uh, the Wolves also have a pair of games next week against the Memphis Grizzlies, another Western Conference opponent that is struggling, currently tied with the Wolves for the seller of the Western Conference, but also a team that the Wolves would likely have expected to, um, to, to battle with for the nine or 10 seed in the West and, and the playing games in the Western conference, but both teams are two and six and, uh, the Memphis doesn't have John Morant. He probably won't be back for those games next week either. So the wolves have four winnable games on the schedule, four teams that have, a, I mean, the Spurs are four and four the Memphis Grizzlies are two and six. So four games against teams, two teams that the wolves should be able to beat. Uh, they need to win a couple of games. They need to go two and two over the next week to make this thing stabilize just a little bit before hopefully Carl Anthony Towns comes back. I would think there's a chance we see him against the Grizzlies late next week, uh, but we we 
obviously won't know for sure until the team gives us a real update on that. So um, at any rate, we'll be back for a weekend show. And then, of course, shows Monday through Friday all next week as we continue to uh, to push through this Townsless stretch together. All right. That's all we have for you today here at Locked on Wolves. Thanks once again for listening to the podcast. Of course, Locked on Wolves is part of the Locked on Podcast Network and the Locked on Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. You can subscribe to the show anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, would always appreciate reviews on Apple iTunes. Definitely helps us out. And you can follow us on Twitter at Locked on T-Wolves. That's at Locked on T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast and we'll catch you next time. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said done. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.